dig into some stories of the Old Testament that maybe we heard a long time ago as kids, uh, but haven't really thought about them since we've grown up. And uh, God, we're living our lives of faith in you on a day-to-day basis in different circumstances. We pray that tonight your spirit would be among us when you speak to us as we study the story of Joshua and the people of Israel coming into the promised land, God. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we're in a sermon series here at Connection. We're calling it Epic Stories of the Old Testament, where we're kind of going through some stories you may have heard a long time ago, but never really thought about them at a deeper level. And so last week we talked about the story of Joseph, and next week we're doing Samson. Samson. Uh, there's no P in there, but you can't help but say it. Samson. And this week we have the story of Joshua leading the people of Israel across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. It's kind of a crazy story. Let me set the stage for you a little bit. So, uh, you may remember last week when we ended with Joseph's story, the people of Israel have just came into Egypt because there's a famine going on. And so the Egyptians had planned really wisely under Joseph's leadership, and so the Israelites are there. And after a few centuries passed, uh, Joseph passed away, and so did the Pharaoh and all the leaders who knew him. And they could see that the people of Israel were growing in numbers and were becoming really strong. And so the Pharaoh was really nervous and decided he would make sure he kept these people in line. And so he made them slaves. He enslaved them working on projects, building up the kingdom of Egypt. And so that's where the people of Israel were. They were enslaved for about 400 years before uh, this person you've probably never heard of, Moses. Um, No, Moses is like an epic individual himself. We could do his story, but you know it so well. Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt crossing the Red Sea. And so here they are, wandering in the wilderness. And why was that? Because as they were traveling to the land that God has promised them, the land of Canaan, the people of Israel strayed in their hearts and followed after gods of their own creation instead of the one true God. So they were living in the wilderness for a span of 40 years in a time of waiting, waiting to come to the promised land that God had for them. And this is a time where they uh, were being purified as God's people, as they waited. So that's where we pick up tonight. The book of Joshua takes place in 1400 B.C. That's when it begins. And it begins with Joshua taking over leadership from Moses right after Moses passed away. He'll be the one to take the people of Israel to the Promised Land. And so imagine taking over for Moses. He's got some big shoes to fill and a really big task ahead of him. Let's start uh, here in Joshua chapter 1. Uh, I want to show you where they're going here first. We'll see if my little clicker works. And it's not going to work because it's not on. Now it's going to work here in just a second. Now that I've flipped it on. That's very important. Uh, So the people of Israel had a few challenges to getting into the promised land, the land of Canaan that you see up there. Uh, The first was this. The land was already inhabited. Usually a problem when you want to make a place your home. It shouldn't be occupied. But that was a challenge the people of Israel had to face. There were nations that were living in Canaan already, so the Israelites would have a lot of fighting ahead of them. There were also some natural barriers for the Israelites in entering to Canaan. And the first was that they had bodies of water in their way. First, they tried to pass south of the Dead Sea, the Salt Sea right there, through a land called Edom, but the Edomites blocked them from coming through. They refused them entry, and so Israel traveled north, where you see that green line going. They passed through the land of the Amorites, and they actually conquered a few kings there and camped out on the east side of the Jordan River, which you see coming there is the north part of the Dead Sea. They camped out right across from the Promised Land. There's a city called Jericho. 
you see Jericho there on the map. That's where the Israelites were waiting to come into the promised land. And so that's where they were. They were camped out on the banks of the Jordan, and that's when God let them know this would be the time that they came into the land that he promised them. In Joshua chapter 1, we read, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses A, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I commanded you? Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Do you think he got that message across? Be strong and courageous. The people of Israel had a tall task before them. They needed to know that God went with them. He was on their side. That's where they're at. So God encouraged them. He fulfilled the promises that he made. He established them in the land that he had told Abraham generations ago would belong to those who followed after him in faith. And he instructed Joshua to be strong and courageous. We see why right there in the passage. Because God would be with him. Not be strong and courageous because there are a lot of you. Or you're really strong and you've been through a lot and now you're tough. Be strong and courageous because God is with you. That was their reason for confidence. Not in themselves. And so this passage, look right there in verse 2. God gives Joshua the heads up on what the first step would be for taking possession of the promised land. He says, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give you. And that's our epic story for this evening. Here's the Jordan River. Most of the time, the Jordan River was about 150 feet wide. Uh, it didn't flow all that fast. It was usually about 3 to 10 feet deep. But at the time of this story... When the people of Israel had to cross it, the river was in quite a different state. As the snow melted in nearby mountains and the rainy, the rainy season ended in late spring, it swelled up. It rained fast, about 10 miles an hour. It about doubled in size. The banks flooded to a width of 300 to 350 feet and rained fast, like whitewater rapids fast. In the ancient Near East, during this time, it was actually considered a heroic feat to swim across the Jordan River at this time of year. And in modern times, it's considered a really dumb thing to do. You <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't want to cross it. Um, think about this. The people of Israel, how would they get across? Did there any of you play Oregon Trail growing up? This was like such a good game. I thought it was just my generation, but I'm super encouraged to see that I wasn't the only one who played it. I feel like Oregon Trail taught me some major life lessons. The first was, there's no point to kill 500 pounds of meat when you can only carry seven with you, right? We all know that now. And we also know that scurvy is a preventable disease. You don't have to die of scurvy. All you have to do is buy some fruit next time you pass a general store. Like, we all learned that playing Oregon Trail, but there are some big questions that we're still faced with. Um, when we come to rivers in our lives, do we ford them? Do we just plow across the shallow 
rock the wagon and float. <laughs> this is a really question that I think we've all lost many settlers both ways. We don't know what to do. This is a, there's a real challenge. And so how do the Israelites get across? How are they going to get across the river? There were some spies sent out earlier in the book of Joshua, and they swam across the river. But this would not be a solution for the entire nation of Israel. Think about getting a nation of people across these whitewater rapids. If you think about it, there were no bridges at this time. There were no bridges for them to cross. They would have had livestock with them. Their lives from the desert to carry across. There were fords on the river, but the fords were actually guarded by the police from Jericho, the city right across the river. So fording the river wouldn't have been a good option for them. Some of the spies of Israel who had gone into the Promised Land early to scout it out this way across, but certainly uh, Grandma Moses and all of her friends aren't going to swim across. This is an issue. They need to get a large people across the river. How many people do you think they had to get across? Like, 100 people is a big deal. 1,000 would be a logistical nightmare. Can you imagine if they had to get 10,000 people across the river? 10,000 people across this river. Listen to how many people had to cross the Jordan River. In the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 26, Israel took a census right before the people came into the promised land. And the census recorded that there were 600,000 men over the age of 20 among the people of Israel. That number does not include women and children. 600,000. That's actually only 3,000 people less than the census first taken when the Israelites came out of Egypt. So they would have lost 3,000 men over 20 in 40 years wandering the wilderness. That's not too bad. Um, that's pretty good. But think about it. Bible scholars estimate that there were around 2 million total Israelites who would have came into the Promised Land. How are we going to get 2 million people across this river? 2 million people. Here's a comparison for you. Does anyone know what the biggest sporting venue in the entire world is? Yes, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Indianapolis Motor Speedway at max capacity in the stands and in the infield seats 400,000 people. So the Israelites needed to, to get five Indianapolis Motor Speedways at max capacity across Whitewater Rapids. This task seems impossible, guys. This is impossible. How are you going to do this? This is the time and place that God chose for Israel to come into the promised land. What did Joshua need to remember God's promise? Be strong and courageous because the Lord your God will go with you wherever you go. This is time for Joshua to see if he really believes that. Will he trust the Lord when things get ridiculously uncomfortable? Let's continue on in the story. Joshua chapter 3. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to Jordan. That's a hard word to say, so I just went for it. <laughs> After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it, Joshua told the people. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And so those are pretty simple instructions. He says, look for the priests carrying the ark of the covenant. What was the ark of the covenant? 
The Ark of the Covenant was where God's presence dwelled with the people of Israel. That's where God lived with them during their time in the wilderness. And so these priests would carry the Ark, and the people of Israel were to watch them and follow them. They would lead the way. They were to stand about a half mile back and see where they would go. That's the, uh, the translation of 2,000 cubits, right? About a half mile. And so he says to them, you better prepare yourselves for what's going to happen. Consecrate yourselves. That means turn your hearts to God because you're about to see something incredible happen. And the day comes for them to cross. And God says this to Joshua. He says, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. And so these priests, they pick up the Ark and they take it towards the river. Imagine the people of Israel, two million people, spread out watching, wondering where they're going to go. Where are they going to follow the Ark? And so Joshua commands the Israelites, he commands a messenger from each of the twelve tribes to go tell their tribe this. In Joshua chapter 3, 9 through 13. Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive you, drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Those were all the nations living in the land. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. They will stand up in a heap. I want to go back to that slide of the Jordan River because it's a crazy one. The waters will stand up in a heap. And so the priests carry the ark down to the edge of the river, and when their feet touch the water, it begins to back up. However, what we have to see in the text, this is an important detail. It says the water began to back up in a city called Adam, which was actually 18 miles upstream from where they stood. Think about that. The water first backed up about 18 miles away. So these priests would have been standing there in the water, holding the Ark of the Covenant, waiting. Waiting for that water to stop. Trusting it would. Here's a math question for you. If the river's flowing at 10 miles per hour, <laughs> and it has 18 miles to travel, how long would it take for the water to stop where they were standing? It's flowing at 10 miles an hour, and it needs to stop 18 miles away. How long is that going to take? Boom! You guys are good. Hour and 48 minutes. After that time of waiting to see if this water is going to stop flowing or if these priests were going to look like absolute fools, the water quit flowing in the place the priest stood. And the people of Israel walked out into the middle of the river and crossed over on dry ground, the text says. And so think about that. It had backed up for 18 miles. That's plenty of space for 2 million people to get across. Plenty of space. They crossed over on dry ground. And when everyone had crossed, the priests stepped out of the water. And the moment they stepped out of the water, it began to rush again. It began to rush through. Can you imagine that? Talk about no retreats. There's no going back for these guys. There's a raging river now separating them from the desert as they stand in the promised land. This is a miracle. God stopped a rushing river for his people to come into the place that he had promised them. That's what God did to fulfill his promise. Here's a really interesting side note. 
This story actually isn't the only time the Jordan River has quit flowing in this place. In modern history, there have been times where the river has dammed up on several occasions because soil has piled up due to earthquakes. And the last time this happened was in 1927. And so we read this text, and you can wonder, did God use an earthquake to dam up the river? Or did he do it supernaturally? I don't have an answer to that. What I'm sure of is that God did this. God did it one way or another. And so think about the people of Israel here in this story. What would this experience with God have shown them? They're now in the promised land, but their journey of faith wasn't ending here now that they were in it. This is always going to be a journey of faith for them. As they conquered, they fought against these nations that they had to conquer to take possession of Canaan. What could prove to them more that this would continue to be a journey of faith, more so than taking their first step into the promised land, into a river that's flowing with raging rapids? What's going to test their faith more than that? They would have to trust that God would provide, or they would look like absolute fools standing there in this river, just like, what are you, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Would God provide? Remember his word. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God was going to bring his promises for Israel to fulfillment. And he was going to do it in such a way that grew their faith. That put their faith to the test. And he challenged them to put their trust in him. When according to the ways of this world, that made absolutely no sense. They had no business stepping into that river thinking that they were going to cross unless God showed up and did a miracle. But here's what happened. God wanted to use this as an opportunity to teach them not to rely on themselves, but to put their trust in Him. And that's what had to happen. This had to be a situation completely out of their control for them to depend on God's power and ability rather than to depend on their own. Be strong and courageous because of what God is able to do. That's why He chose this time and place for them to cross. They couldn't do it on their own. God wanted to use this is an opportunity to grow their faith. Think about that in your own life. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you felt God was leading you into a place that was completely out of your comfort zone? When the circumstances before you, the situation you were called to enter into was bigger than you. It was completely out of your control. You knew that you couldn't handle it on your own. Have you ever found yourself in that place where if God didn't show up, you knew you were completely out of luck? Have you been there? I've been there. Those are really hard places to be. Those are uncomfortable places to be. Why does God put us in those places? Is it because he's cruel and he just wants to, man, look what I did to this guy. Let's see if he makes it. I don't think so. I don't think God does it to us because he's cruel. I think God puts us in those places because he wants us to see how faithful he really is. He wants us to know the depth of his provision and that having God with us is what matters most. With God in control, we're in the safest place we can possibly be. God puts us in those places because he wants us to know his power to save. He wants us to see his ability to rescue us so that we'll be people who trust him more deeply. We wouldn't do that if we weren't in those places where we are well aware of what we're lacking. God puts us in those places so that we know how great he is as our provider. We take a step back. And we trust Him with control. 
if it was up to us, we would play it safe most of the time, wouldn't we? We would do the things that we feel like we can handle on our own. We put ourselves in situations where our comfort zone isn't going to be stretched. But God loves us so much that He puts us in those places where we're really challenged. Where every bit of us wants to turn back and say, keep me away from that river. God puts us right there. He tests our faith. He grows us. Those are the moments where we come to know God most deeply. This passage challenges us to ask ourselves the question, when God leads us to those places in our lives, those situations that are bigger than we can handle on our own, are we going to stay back or are we going to put our foot in the river? Will we stay back or will we step into the river? Falling God in those places is really scary. Think about that. What situations is God leading you into in your life right now? What might be some of those situations that are ahead of you? One of the reasons uh, we have some adult ministry team members who come to Connection is so you can get to know them. And I have the privilege of being friends with all of them, and I get to hear their stories. And my buddy Aaron, you can come on up, has a great story of faith in his life right now. Um, Aaron is a guy who's put his foot in the river, and I think there's some times where he wonders if God's going to show up. <laughs> yes. That's, this is where you're at, my friend. And so I asked Aaron if he would show, just share a few minutes about uh, where God has you in your life right now and just uh, your journey of faith, trusting him to provide. Perfect. I'm going to pull out my notes here. So I'm a speech-language pathologist, and um, I have been an assistant regional director in the nursing home, so I manage rehab teams in South Central Indiana. Worked in a building in, in a small town for seven years. Things were going great. Loved the little building. It's a building where you get to spoil the heck out of these old people. Love them to leave. Um, kept climbing the, the management ladder because I don't like being a speech therapist. So, might as well do administrative. So, um, Thanksgiving, we're, we're at Walt Disney World with the family. And, can you guys hear me on? Yeah. So, I get an email from my boss saying we need to talk when we get back. Okay. Um, do I still have a job? Yeah, you still have a job. Okay. Thank you, Lord. I still have a job. So, we talked Monday after that. Um, they are dissolving my management position. Reimbursements down, all this kind of stuff. So, I lose the, the building that I've worked at for seven years. I'm no longer going to be climbing the management ladder. I take a step back. A company I love. I'm all over the page. Testimonials. I love the company. They serve the heart and integrity. Now what am I going to do? Oh, yeah, my job is now in Franklin. If I want to keep working. I can work in Franklin. So um, it's one of those things I've just been thinking about. I find myself now um, in the last week of my 30-day period after resigning. I'm getting ready to start a new job next Monday. Uh, doing home health around here. But I'm also now on campus three days a week, four days a week, um, taking classes for organic chemistry and human uh, biochemistry. Some people just threw up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I just rub myself again. So the idea of a 39-year-old undergraduate. My, my dream is to hopefully take the uh, optometry admission test in the fall, get into optometry school. So if you're good at math, somebody back here was good at math, that would be 
six more years before I would graduate as an eye doctor, 39, so 45. Is that going to really be financially worth it? I don't know. I've got a family. Um, I'm going to be a college guy at the same time my oldest will be a freshman. So I'm hoping he goes to IU and maybe we can take fencing together. <laughs> you should probably join the same frat. <laughs>
Or are you going to hold back? Don't miss out on the blessing that God has for you when you step out in faith and you trust in Him. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're a people of hope. And let me tell you a story about the people of Israel. They could remember how God was faithful to them in this moment because they constructed a monument. God instructed Joshua, have men from the 12 tribes of Israel go get a rock and place it on the bank so that every time someone walks past, they'll remember. They'll remember when they see those rocks, how God provided for them in that place. And so we as Christians, we're a people of hope because we have a monument to look for ourselves. We can look to the cross of Jesus Christ and remember that God has provided for us in the way that we need it most. God sent his own son, Jesus, for us, that we might be forgiven of our sin, that we might experience life in relationship with God now and forever. And so when you look to those places in your life where your circumstances are bigger than you can handle, the situation is out of your control. You can step into it with faith because you know God has provided for you in the way you need it most. And so will you trust him when you step out into the river? God has provided for you and he will never leave your side. Let's pray together. God, your word tells us that when we pass through the waters, you will be with us. When we pass through the rivers, they will not sweep us over. God, we thank you so much that you go before us. That all of our time is in your hands. There's not a moment of our lives that you're unaware of, God. There's not a second when you leave our side. You're our great provider. Father God, you're not just the provider for the Israelites and the miracle that brought them into the land. Uh, you promised them this place of blessing, but you are our provider. And the miracle of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross but rose again from the grave. Father, would we be people who look to that monument of grace, that we would look to the cross and remember Jesus, your provision for every area of our lives, not just the moment that we were saved, but for the grace that keeps on saving us no matter what we walk through. When you write that grace on our hearts, that we would be people who step out in faith, that we would be strong and courageous because we know that you will provide, God. And we ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen.